Last week, I saw on television a beautiful young American woman. Her fiance had gone to Iraq. They were engaged to be married. But last week, he became another victim. They seem to be dying well, they are every day. When she heard the news, she said, we were both hoping that soon he would come home and we would be married and we would live together forever. But she said, my hopes are shattered. Many human hopes get shattered, do they not? My topic today is this, the hope that never disappoints. Many of our hopes do disappoint us. But the Bible tells us, thank God, there is a hope that never disappoints. Would you please open your Bible to the book of Romans chapter 5 and verses 1 and onwards. Romans chapter 5 and verses 1 and onwards. Book of Romans. Who wrote the book of Romans? Yeah, the great apostle Paul. Romans chapter 5. You folks ready to go? Well, just to, uh, <laughs> just to complicate things a little bit, just hold up your Bibles, would you please? But perhaps you better not lose the place. <laughs> and would you like to say with me the words? Can you say it? Yes. This is this is my Bible. This is God's Word. God has a message for me today. His message will give me everlasting life and make me a better person. I now open my heart to receive God's Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you lost the place? It's Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and onwards. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice, what does it say? In the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, what does it say? Hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given unto us. The Bible says, this hope does not disappoint us. Is this not a contradiction? 
Many hopes do disappoint. But there's a hope that never disappoints. Let me share with you some significant insights. One of the greatest scholars of the ancient languages, Hebrew and Greek, is Dr. Young. He wrote that great analytical, exhaustive and exhausting commentary. And uh, he has some comments on the word hope. This is quite interesting. The word hope, Dr. Young says, means confidence, refuge, expectation, trust. Have you thought of it that way? So our hope is in God. It really means our trust is in God. Our expectation is from God. Our refuge is in God. Our confidence is in God. Now we often say, well, I hope that I'll be here next year. But we don't know. Because that is a human hope in earthly circumstances. But the hope that I'm talking about today is a confident assurance. Let me tell you what hope is not. Hope is not a vague, indefinite thing. It is not a tenuous desire. It is not a fuzzy, warm feeling that things are going to turn out just fine. The hope that I'm talking about today is not wishful thinking. It is not a vain hope. Our hope is sure and certain and confident because it does not depend upon man or circumstances, but on the unchanging God. If your hope is in a man, you may be very disappointed. Now, I love my church and my denomination. I've given my life serving it. But my hope is not in the denomination. My hope is not in the general conference. My hope is in God. Now, if your hope is in an organization, a man said to Dr. Bradford over at Loma Linda, he said it very sincerely, he said, I'm soon to die, but my hope is in the fact that I'm a member of the remnant church. This man is a great theologian, but his hope is in the wrong thing. My hope for my salvation is not because I am a member of the church, but because God is unchanging. God is absolutely dependable. In a sea of uncertainty, he is the unchanging, immutable rock of ages. Can you say amen? Amen. And so to hope in God is never to be disappointed. When I was a boy, Pastor Harker, 
maybe like you because we're both Queenslanders. Queenslanders are the cream of the crop in Australia. <laughs> uh, it's just too bad that Mel Gibson wasn't a Queenslander. He would have made even a better movie. But when we were boys, I remember going to Maranatha Youth Camp. Remember Maranatha? I had no idea what the word meant, but it means, as you know. What does it mean? Maranatha, the Lord is coming. Now, of course, you all knew that. When I was a little boy and went to Maranatha youth camps, I was taught a song that has stuck with me down through the years and has given me hope. And the words, I can sing it to you. Earthly friends may prove untrue. Doubts and fears prevail. There is one who cares for you. And he will not fail. Jesus never fails. Jesus never fails. Heaven and earth may pass away, but Jesus never fails. If your hope is in God, your hope will never be disappointed. Now, today I want to share with you some truths that have already blessed me and will bless you. We may have a certain hope in every area of our lives. And I want to list some examples. Number one. Here it is, number one. The Bible teaches that there is hope for the most hopeless sinners. I want you to think this through. There is hope for the greatest renegades, profligates, and perverts because where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. There's hope for every person. I want to talk now about the world's most wicked man. And you would say, well, that's got to be Saddam. Well, let's see. This man lived back in the days of the Bible. Would you first come to 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse 30? 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse 30. 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse 30. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. So goodness, he must have been bad. And if you come to chapter 21 and verse 25, turn over the pages, chapter 21, verse 25, there was never a man like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. Urged on by Jezebel, his wife, he behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols, like the Ammonites, the Lord drove out before Israel. And so, just pause there for a moment. Here is a man who is the essence of evil. The Bible says there were lots of bad men, but there was nobody worse than, nobody like this man. Nobody as bad as this man. 
But I want you to notice what happened. And this is quite extraordinary. Verse 27, when Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and fasted. He lay in sackcloth and went around meekly. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself, I will not bring this disaster in his day, but I will bring it on his house in the days of his son. Ahab was released from condemnation and damnation because he humbled himself and turned to God. The most wicked man in the Bible was saved. Then, of course, you've all heard of Nebuchadnezzar, an evil pagan king, every bit as furious as Saddam Hussein. And the Bible indicates that Nebuchadnezzar is going to be in heaven with Daniel the prophet. And then you think of the Apostle Paul, whose hands were stained with the blood of the saints, and who became the greatest preacher, theologian in the history of the Christian church. There is hope for the most desperate character. Over there in Nizhny Novgorod, where we went in 1992, there is a man who serves as an elder of the church. When he came in 1992, our church members were terrified of him. His name was Sergei. He was a leader of the mafia. They were afraid of him. Today, he's an elder in the church. One of the greatest criminals in the ex-Soviet Union is a man who lives down today in the Caucasus, a leader of the church, an evangelist who got the tapes of these meetings. He had 400 soldiers under him, all ruffians armed to the teeth. Everybody was afraid of him. But he turned to God after watching these videos and today he is an evangelist saved by the grace of God. So I say to you, there is hope for the most hopeless person. Therefore, we should not give up on anybody and not even on ourselves. You may say today, but if you knew who I really was like, you would know that I'm a hopeless character. I want you to know there's hope for the hopeless character who turns and puts his faith in God. Amen. Number two, there is hope for our wayward children. Anybody here with wayward children? Would you come to Isaiah 49 and verse 15? Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 15, the Bible says, God says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the son she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. 
and verse 25 but this is what the Lord says yes captives will be taken from warriors and plunder retrieved from the fierce I will contend with those who contend with you and your children I will save I want to say to the people who are watching the telecast who have children who are breaking their hearts children who were brought up in a Christian home brought up in the church went to Christian colleges and today they're on drugs some of them are alcoholics and all of them are engaged in acts of illicit sex and the parents say what hope is there for my boy what hope is there for my girl Adoniam, unusual name, so you won't forget it. Adoniam Judson. Ever heard the name before? Became one of the greatest missionaries in the history of the world. Adoniam Judson was brought up in a godly home where they had family worship. Do you have family worship? Every home that belongs to Christ will have family worship. They had family worship, they had the reading of Scripture. Every Christian home will have family worship and the reading of scripture or it's not really a genuine Christian home. They went to church and they sent their boy to a university where he was taught infidelity. University infidelity often goes together. He teamed up with another young man who was a pastor's son and they gave up the Bible you can't believe the Bible they listened to professors who were paid to do one thing destroy faith in God and faith in the Holy Scriptures when Adonaim came home he said to his parents I've given up the Bible I've given up the church I've given up God I've given up Christ I found something much better I can do what I want to do he broke his parents' hearts. Have you ever had your heart broken by a wayward boy or a wayward girl? His mother and his father prayed for wayward Adonaim. And one day when Adonaim was traveling, he came upon an inn. One chance in a thousand that he should darken the door of that inn. He stayed there that night and all through the night he was awakened by the trampling of feet people coming and going and then early in the morning there was silence and when he went down to breakfast the innkeeper was there he said what was going on last night the innkeeper said a young man died last night the doctors were coming we were calling for for medical help but we did everything for him but he died Adonaim continued his breakfast and then he said to the innkeeper what was the name of the young man the innkeeper told him the name of the young man it was the young man who was his companion the young man who was the pastor's son the young man who'd helped to lead him from God and in the face of death Adonaim Judson found God 
and he found God because his parents didn't give up on him and they were praying for him and they directed his feet. The angels of God directed his feet to the very place, that inn, where this young man was dying to bring him to his senses. I don't understand why God does things like this. But I do know this, that prayer changes things. And I do know that we should never, never give up on our children. I have baptized on death row young men who are murderers. I've seen young men whose lives are stained with the blood of government officials who were facing death in the electric chair. I have baptized them. I've seen them come to God. We should never, never give up on our children. And if you want your children saved, don't preach to them and don't nag at them. But pray for them and put them in the hands of God. We have hope for wayward children. The Bible says there is hope for the sick and the dying. Did you hear this? There's hope for the sick and the dying. The Bible talks about the anointing of the sick. The Bible says if they have committed sins, they shall be forgiven and God will raise them up. We know these verses in the book of James. There is hope in hopeless circumstances. When I, with my family, Beverly and our kids, lived in North Queensland, in Mackay, Mackay, whichever way they say it, or we say it. There was a man there in the church, his name was Ian. His body was filled with cancer. And the doctor said to him, Ian, we give you three months. He lived for 12 years. But I want to tell you folks something else. Even though God does not heal the victim of cancer or some other disease, now he has a better plan. You know what that plan is called? It is called the resurrection. Would you come over here to Philippians chapter 3? So don't give up. Don't give up even if you're dying. Don't give up. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven. Ah, did you hear that? Our citizenship is in heaven. A Christian has a dual citizenship. And the most important citizenship is not to be a citizen of America or of Australia, but to be a citizen of heaven. Can you say amen to that? But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So there's hope 
for the sick and the dying. There are some wonderful words in the book of Romans about Abraham, who was called the father of us all. The Bible says that against all hope, Abraham believed in hope. And even though the the Bible says these words, he knew that his own body was as good as dead, 100 years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not doubt at the power of God, believing that God could raise a man from the dead. Who against hope, believed in hope. Therefore, there is hope for the sick and the dying. There is the hope for the supply of our material needs, our social needs, our physical needs. Would you come now to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19, dear hearts and gentle people. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. This is the anti-depression chapter. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. Notice it in the scriptures in the word of God. Philippians. Those of you watching in your homes, get your Bible and turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. We are a Bible reading church here. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. We don't go to the church that has a sign on the door that says, check your brains in at the door. As the Church of England says in Sydney, Jesus saves us from our sins, not from our minds. A lot of churches are brainwashing people because the congregation doesn't read the texts. So look at the texts. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. But my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Look around at this church. It's a beautiful church, isn't it? It's a great complex really is. We don't deserve to have it. I really don't know how we got it because we got it honestly. When I was first shown this magnificent building, the buildings that go with it, I said to Tom Riley, the real estate agent, Tom Riley, I said, what would the deposit be? He said, 1,100,000. Then he said, would you have any trouble with that deposit? I said, I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) I hope not. I said, no, it will not be a problem because, then I said it softly, our hope is in God. Our people came together. We did one or two television programs. And within a few weeks, over and above what normally is sent to us, we received $1,250,000. Now, some of you who've never had to raise that sort of money will say, oh, that's easy to do. I say to you, try doing it. 
Our hope was in God and our hope remains in God. God gave us the building. Our hope is in God. I think of my mother, now 95. When she was a young mother with two little girls, my sisters, the depression came. My father owned a shop. But my dad told me, years ago of course, that the time came when all there was left in the shop window was a pumpkin. And they had a set of scales on the counter. Everything was gone. They lost their shop, they lost their home. They went and they lived beside the sea, just outside of Brisbane, at a place called Sandgate. You know it well, Pastor Harker. It's really not Sandgate, it's Mudgate. (laughs) They lived there. My father had no income. There were two little girls that needed milk. A Chinaman. In return to a kindness my mother showed, gave her a packet of tomato seeds, Ponderosa tomatoes. If you ever see Ponderosa, support it. She planted the Ponderosa tomato seeds and they grew into little trees. Big, fat, juicy tomatoes. People came from everywhere to buy the tomatoes, five shillings a case, 50 cents. When the depression came to an end, the bushes died, but not her faith. Some of you don't know God as a God who supplies need. I challenge you today to believe in this great God who's promised to supply our needs. I know that there are some folks who have so little faith, they do not even pay their tithes. Say, I cannot afford to pay my tithe. How can you rob the God who died for you? Where is your faith? We have a hope that God will supply our material, our social needs, every other need. Listen to me. If there's a man here today and he's looking for a wife, That's a good thing, is it not? Mm -hmm. If you make this a matter of prayer, God has got the right woman right now waiting for you. I heard one man sitting down the front say, hallelujah. (laughs) (laughs) Now, if there's a woman here today and she's waiting for her Joseph to come riding on a chariot, Don't be foolish and rush off and marry the first man you see. You may get a dud. (laughs) There are plenty of duds. Do I hear any amens? Not here today, folks. Not here today in this church. (laughs) 
But I want to say to that woman that God has got a man for you, the very right man. Don't be ashamed to pray about these things. Do not be ashamed to hope in God. There is hope when every day is gray, when depression settles in like a London fog. Would you come to Psalm 42? This is the psalm for people who are depressed. And many people have clinical depression and they should not be criticized and we should not doubt their faith. Psalm 42. Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night. While men say to me all day long, where is your God? Verse 5, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. We can hope that God will banish the night and bring on a bright new day. I want to say to those who are watching the telecast, who goes through times of depression, you are in good company. David, this great man of God, a man after God's own heart, went through times of desperate depression, as did Martin Luther, who became so depressed on one occasion, he threw a bottle of ink at the devil. So did John Wesley, who despaired of life and everything. So did Ellen White, the greatest of the saints of God who've lived the closest to God, have gone through times of depression. But my message to those who are depressed is this, hope in God. Because the night will pass and the sun will come up. Now on a more personal level, we spoke about hope for the most guilty sinners. But I wish to extend this in a different category. There is hope for the forgiveness of our sins and hope for our own personal salvation. Amen. Now I want you to turn with me over here to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12 and 13. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12 and 13. Ephesians 2 and verse 12 and 13. The Bible says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Now come to Hebrews 6, book of Hebrews, chapter 6, and verse 19 and 20. Hebrews 6, 19 and 20. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, I want you to notice this wonderful cover on Newsweek magazine. The fact that the movie, The Passion of the Christ, is stirring up so much controversy tells us that this man must be real. If he were not so real, why don't they ignore him? But they can't ignore him because he's alive and coming after them. They thought when they put him in the tomb, that was the end. Now this is one of the most famous magazines in the world. This is Newsweek. On the front, the depiction of our suffering and our blessed Lord. And the question is, who really killed Jesus? While I do not agree with everything that is said in the article to answer the question, who really killed Jesus? There are some very good things there. Because the author says it wasn't merely the Jewish leaders or the Roman soldiers. It was the sin of the world. My sin. As Mel Gibson said in a magnificent testimony, as the hand of the Christ was stretched out, he said, Give me the spike. Let me hold the spike. He said, I drove it into his hand. We can all say that. Give me the spike. Jews and Gentiles, rich and free. Rich and slave. Who really killed Jesus? Our sins killed him. Therefore, if we recognize our destitution of soul and come to this Christ, this matchless Christ, this incomparable Christ, then we have the hope of the forgiveness of our sins and everlasting life. He will not cast any of us away if we come as penitent sinners. The problem is, of course, the human heart is so blind, some would say so stupid and so proud 
that our Lord said, you will not come unto me that you might have life. But if we come unto him, we have this hope that our sins are forgiven. What encourages me is the story of the prodigal son, this wayward boy who ran away from home. You know when he was down feeding the pigs, you know what sent him back to the father's house? Hope. Why did he have hope to go back? He knew the father. He knew the heart of the father. We know the heart of the father. Therefore, there's hope for the forgiveness of sins. And there is hope for heaven at last. Would you come to Colossians chapter 1, 26 and 27. Colossians chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. The great theologian, the Jewish prophet of God, Paul St. Paul, Colossians 1, 26, 27, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, say it with me, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. If we have Christ we have the hope and the assurance of glory. And that is why the Bible refers to the second coming as the blessed hope. The blessed hope. The appearing of our God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. People have often asked me the question, what will heaven be like? We don't know a great deal. We know enough. Heaven is described as a country. So it's going to be a country with trees, lawns, lakes, rivers. When we came from Australia, we had sent over, because he had to go into quarantine, our little French poodle, his name was Pierre. Pierre was Julie's dog, but we all loved Pierre. He was the feistiest little dog in the world. He would take on an Alsatian, a German shepherd, and usually win. He came over to America, went with us to Texas. After we'd had him for about two years, a year, he was diagnosed with cancer. We put him on a special diet. The vet said he will live for three months. He lived for more than another year. The last night of his life, he came around us all and climbed up and put his paws on us and said goodbye. And then we made him comfortable and during the night he died. We had a funeral for him. Julie cried for a week. When I went into her room and woke her up, I said, Julie, I've got bad news for you. She was just a kid. 
And she said, he's dead, isn't he? I said, yes, he's dead. So we got a little cardboard box. We laid him out. I covered him up with a blanket and put a pillow under his head. Then we went out to Dr. and Mrs. Owen's home. They had a big farm. These wonderful people in Texas. I dug a grave for him. And we had a prayer. And she said, don't bury him yet. So we waited and she stroked him. Then we covered up the box and I put him under the ground and covered it up. And then I got concrete and I made a little slab and I wrote his name on it. And Julie said to me, because she, in those days at least, she thought I knew everything about the Bible. (laughs) Not so sure now. But she said, will Pierre be in heaven? Can I tell you something? I don't think I can give you a text specifically. But I said to her, Julie, if that would make heaven, heaven to you, he'll be in heaven. And I think God loves us so much. And he knows our hearts. And I think heaven is going to be a million times better than any of us can imagine. We'll have family and friends and French poodles and health and the presence of God. There'll be no hospitals. Dr. Burt, you'll be out of a job. Won't you be glad? There'll be no cemeteries and I won't take any more funerals. There'll be no wars No armies marching off. There'll be no young women weeping because a loved one has just been blown up. There'll be no pain and no disease and no death, no jails, no criminals, no gang members like that gang member who shot to death yesterday, a young Los Angeles policeman. He'd been in the force for two years. In fact, there won't be any policemen there. They won't need them. And if you have this hope in God, you will not be disappointed. Listen, use your imagination. I want you to think It is cold outside and it's snowing and the wind is blowing. Well, it's worse than snow, it's sleeting and you're wet. And you come home and the kitchen is warm and there's an open fireplace. Can you see it? Now smell, there's fresh bread on the table. Fresh bread. Now I know you don't eat butter, but in this home there's butter. (laughs) And I know you don't drink this, but on the wood table there are hot mugs of chocolate. 
The fire is blazing away. Listen to me. Hope is like that kitchen and that fire. It's warmth. It's assurance. And if you have God, and if your hope is in God, then today, in a cold, old world, you will have a merry kitchen in your heart with fresh bread and hot chocolate. Therefore, therefore, let us hope in God. Amen.